Chapter 10 of A Casket of Cameos. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Casket of Cameos by Frank W. Borum. Joey McComfa's Text. 1. Joey McComfa was only a little child, a wee Scots laddie, but he had a text and it was the darling dream of his brief day to be a minister and go into the pulpit and preach on that text it is sir j m barry who in a window of thrums tells joey's story at least sir j m barry tells the story of joey's mother poor jess and it is jess who tells us all about joey the window that gives its name to sir j m barry's book is simply the frame in which to those who pass down the bray the face of jess is always set for jess is an invalid with a little help she can hobble across from the bed to the window and it is at this window that jess has sat day after day for more than twenty years once long ago jess was taken ill and the doctor abandoned hope she called joey to her bedside and told him that she was going on a long long journey and she begged him to be a terrible gee daddy to his father and to leave his sister after she had gone her words however failed to produce the effect that she desired joey was simply puzzled bewildered dumbfounded his mother who could scarcely crawl across the room and who could not even move without her stick going on a long long journey the thing was ridiculous and anyhow he could circumvent any such attempt he lay awake that night until the house was quiet and then he rose in the darkness stole out into the garden and there with his little frame shivering and his teeth chattering he buried his mother's staff among the cabbages how could she go on a long long journey without it happily for joey and for his father and sister jess did not set out on that long journey after all it was joey himself who took it twenty years have passed sir james tells us since joey ran down the brae to play jess shook her staff fondly at him a cart rumbled by the driver nodding on the shaft it rounded the corner and stopped suddenly and then a woman screamed a handful of men carried joey's dead body to his mother and that was the tragedy of jess's life and yet there was a sense in which joey never went out of jess's life every other living being forgot him even to hendry he became scarcely a name but there were times when jess's face quivered and her old arms went out for her dead boy on sundays especially he seemed to creep softly back to her jess of course could not go to church but when the others had gone and the house was still she and joey seemed shut up to each other on those hushed and hallowed mornings she was very close to the little boy who died she liked to remember that many a time after church he had run all the way home in order to get to her as quickly as possible and had stood beside her chair waving his hands in a reverent way just like the minister jamie her other boy had always prattled about keeping a shop but joey never once wavered in his resolve to be a minister he would be a minister he used to say and his first text would be thou god seest me we'll get a carriage to ye mother he would tell her so at ye can come and hear me preach on thou god seest me it does not do mother for the minister in the pulpit to nod to ony of the folk 
but I'll give ye a look and ye'll ken it's me. Ye'll be proud o' me, will ye know, mother, when ye see me come and sailin' along to the pulpit in me gown. The other folk will be sittin' in their seats, wonderin' what my text's to be. But ye'll ken, mother, and ye'll turn up too, though God seest me afore I gee out the chapter. Ye'll wonder at me, Jess would say, twenty years afterwards. But I've sat here in the long fornix, dreamin' at Joey was a grown man new, and at I was puttin' on my bonnet to come to the kirk to hear him preach on Thou God Seest Me. I used to be proud to hear him speakin' o' it. Aye, but that day he was coffined, for all the minister prayed, I found it hard to say, Thou God Seest Me. It's the text I like best new, though, and when Hendry and Leeby is at the kirk, I turned up often, often in the Bible. I read fray the beginning of the chapter, but when I come to Thou God Seest Me, I stop. Nah, it's not there's only rebellion to the Lord in my heart, new, for I ken he was looking doon when the cart gate over Joey, and he wanted to tack my laddie to himself. But twist when I come to Thou God Seest Me, I let the book lie in my lap, for ain't somebody sure o' that, they're sure o' all. Towards the end of the book, Sir J. M. Barry tells us how, at length, poor Chess did actually set out on that long, long journey from which many years before Joey had tried so hard to turn her. But this time there was no Joey to hide her stick, and even if the hiding of the stick could have rendered the journey impossible, Joey would not have hidden it, for this time the long, long journey was not taking her from him, but bringing her to him. Jess outlived her husband and daughter after all, but her turn came at last. The minister was with her when she died. She was in her chair at the window, and the minister asked her, as was his custom, if there was any particular chapter which she would like him to read. Since her husband's death, she had always asked for the 14th of John. It was known in Thrums as Hendry's favorite chapter. He had always sought and found refuge there in days of stress and storm. But this time she asked the minister to read the 16th of Genesis. It was ever her own favorite. I you'll laugh, she would sometimes say, but I think that though Joey never lived to preach in a kirk, he's often preached for thou God seest me to me. I didn't ken that I would ever had been so sure o' that if I had not been for him, and so I think I see him sailing doon to the pulpit just as he said he would do. Nobody sees him but me, but I see him giving me the look he spoke o'. She asked the minister to read that chapter at the last. When I come to the thirteenth verse, the minister afterwards said, and when I read the words, Thou God seest me, she covered her face with her two hands and said, Joey's text, Joey's text. Oh, but I grudged ye, Sir Joey. I shut the book when I came to the end of the chapter, and then I saw that she was dead. Joey's text, Joey's text, perhaps Sir J. M. Barry's text. Thou God seest me, thou God seest me. When I come to, thou God seest me, says Jess, I let the book lie in my lap, for ain't a body sure o' that, they're sure o' all. I wonder what she meant. We must try to find out. 2. And to help us in the elucidation of that problem, I propose to call a pair of witnesses, each of them as unlike the other as could possibly be. The first is a Lord Mayor of London. The second is the mother superior of a Spanish convent. The Lord Mayor of London, to whom I refer, is Sir William Arthur, K.C.M.G., one of England's merchant princes. 
the name of sir william arthur is associated not only with commercial activities of the huge metropolis whose chief magistrate he became and one of whose constituencies he represented in the house of commons but with the commercial activities of this great australian city in which i am writing as early as eighteen fifty six he was the head of one of our principal mercantile houses and few visitors from the homeland have been shown more signal honor than he was when in eighteen seventy eight he visited these shores parliaments corporations and commercial organizations vied with each other in welcoming him to australia he became lord mayor of london in eighteen eighty and to celebrate the event banquets were held simultaneously on both sides of the world his biography written by mr thomas mcculloch lies open on my desk at this moment as i review sir william arthur's crowded and useful life as i survey the world-wide ramifications of his stupendous commercial enterprises as i recount the exalted public positions that one after the other he adorned as i know his munificent benefactions his ample philanthropies and his immense influence above all when i contemplate his beautiful home life and his simple piety i find myself in a fever of curiosity to ascertain the secret of so wealthy and fruitful a career by what subtle forces was it inaugurated mr mcauliffe confesses his inability to give any precise account of the dawn of faith in his hero's soul to the close of his life mr mcauliffe says sir william could not recollect a time when he did not through divine grace love god and trust in christ as his personal saviour and just before his death he told the rev c h cruikshank that he could point to no particular instrumentality or mark any particular time as the instrumentality in time of his conversion from earliest years says mr cruikshank he appears like timothy to have known the scriptures and to have been surrounded by gracious influences through which he grew up in the fear of the lord so far except in a vague and general way my quest for the secret of his noble life seems fruitless later on however i make an illuminating discovery sir william died very suddenly in a railway train on his way to business at the age of seventy-eight in his desk after his death was found a document which he had drawn up as a youth of twenty and which he had jealously preserved all through the years it begins by expressing his anxiety lest the business life on which he is just embarking should so excite and engross his attention as to wean his heart away from god he then lays down the rules by which his life shall be governed and the document ends with a prayer o lord god almighty he cries do thou enable me to put these resolutions into practice grant me the aid of thy holy spirit forgive the past and enable me to live to thee in future and in all things to promote thy honour and glory through jesus christ my lord amen and conspicuously among the rules that he frames for the guidance of his life i find this i will endeavour to keep a calm recollection of spirit when engaged in purchasing goods remembering at all times thou god seest me that significant document is dated manchester november ninth eighteen thirty exactly fifty years afterwards to the very day on november ninth eighteen eighty sir william arthur became lord mayor of london three it is a far cry from this brilliant banquet at the guildhall to the hushed seclusion of santa teresa's cloister but the text 
the text on which joey mcquampa was so eager to preach the text that so strangely comforted poor jess in the years that followed joey's death the text on which sir william arthur founded his illustrious career that same text once came with extraordinary grace and power to the anxious and almost despairing teresa although a nun she had long since given up praying the frightful aridity of her heart filled her with dread and she felt that she dared not present herself before the heavenly throne but thou god seest me she was in the presence of the highest whether she deliberately sought that presence or not it was a great act of grace in god to give me that vision she says i believe that had the lord been pleased to send me that great revelation of himself earlier in my life it would have kept me back from much sin i knew not where to hide myself i could not flee from that presence oh that those who commit deeds of darkness could see what i saw if they could but see that there is no place secret from god but that all that they do is done before him and in him oh the madness of committing sin in the immediate presence of a majesty so great in this also i saw his infinite mercy in that he suffers such a sinner as i am still to live so much for our pair of witnesses the striking and valuable factor in their testimony lies in the fact that like joy mccomfa and his mother the lord mayor and the mother superior both discover something wonderfully winsome in the text if only joey could have lived and become a minister if only he could have preached the sermon that he so fervently wished to preach and if only his mother and sir william arthur and santa teresa could have been in the kirk that morning how delighted all three of them would have been when the young minister announced his text thou god seest me i can see old jess's eyes sparkle i she murmurs to herself in a kind of ecstasy ain't a body sure of that they're sure all thou god seest me sir william arthur gives a start as looking into the preacher's glowing face the old familiar words fall once more upon his ear he thinks of that mellow document that he himself drafted as a boy i will endeavor to keep a calm recollection of spirit when engaged in purchasing goods remembering at all times thou god seest me thou god seest me a tear glistens on santa teresa's cheek as she recalls the vision that helped her back to a life of communion with her lord thou god seest me jess finds in joey's text an unspeakable comfort the lord mayor finds in joey's text a lifelong inspiration santa teresa finds in joey's text an infinite mercy in this i saw his infinite mercy in that he suffers me still to live unspeakable comfort lifelong inspiration infinite mercy is it any wonder that joey mccumpha longed to be a minister and to preach on that great text four i used to hate that text bishop bonner would say as he pointed to the words that were so dear to joey and jess when i was a child and was naughty my nurse made me repeat it again and again the bishop said and it terrified me but later on his eyes were opened he saw in the text all that joey and jess and sir william arthur and santa teresa saw in it and he became as fond of it as they were the point is not that i am watched but that i am watched by one whose name is love and whose heart is full of compassion there are some lines by dr j r miller which in the course of his sermon joey would not perhaps have quoted but i know that he would have liked to quote them but nobody ever will ken lassie oh nobody ever will ken how much we hide that we cannot bide should be seen by the eyes o men lassie should be seen by the eyes o men 
There's one sees throw and throw, lassie. There's one sees throw and throw. And better than a whatever buffet, he's gentle and kind and true, lassie. He's gentle and kind and true. That's it. Thou God seest me, and thou art gentle and kind and true. Mr. Frederick Mann expresses the same thought. Thou seest me, O God, and plain beneath thy sight appear the tales of years that vanish and all seek deepest night. Thine eyes are searching through me, yet I will not shrink nor fear. Thy heart is full of tenderness, thine arm of help is near, and thou, O God, art love as well as light. Thou seest me, each word and inmost thought alike is known, my comings and my goings, though myself I cannot see, though blindness well might smite me from the light before thy throne, my soul bows down to bless thee, for thou callst me thine own, and seeing yet thou lovest even me. The Reverend Joseph McCuffa would have pointed out in that sermon that he did not live to preach, that the eyes that search me through and through are the eyes that, turning and looking upon Peter, broke his heart. And beyond the shadow of a doubt, there would have been many broken hearts and contrite spirits in the Reverend Joseph McCumpus Church that morning. End of chapter 10